Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, and welcome back to another episode. Hope you've all had some wonderful wine adventure with a bottle of wine you've opened up this week. Well, today we're going to take you on a different adventure and we're going across to Moldova. So this is part two with Victoria Daskal, who's a second stage master wine candidate and founder of Mummy Wine Club, wine writer, wine educator. Well, she was actually born in Moldova. So I've had the experience a few years ago to go and visit the country and get to know the wine scene over there. So there's loads to talk about and you're going to find out in the next half an hour. But I have been very lucky to get my hands on a bottle of Moldovan wine. So let's go across to my winery of the week. So first of all, big shout out to moldovawine.co.uk. Yes, people living in the UK, there is a whole array of different Moldovan wines on this website. So it's really easy for you guys to get hold of it. And I have got a bottle of rosé. Yes, I know, that's wishful thinking. In the words of Game of Thrones, winter is coming. As I record just the other day, April Fool's Day, great Fool's Day joke, it was snowing. Anyway, may I drink this rosé for you now and let the universe realise that it is nearly summer season. So in my hand right now, I have a bottle from the winery Salkutsa. Now, these guys have been going since 1995. They're a family business and they're now in their third generation. You're going to find them in the southeastern part of Moldova. So this is the IGP Stefan Voda and they're in a specific town called Kaushan. Now, they own all their own fruit, which always helps for quality purposes. They have 400 hectares, so I don't think they're going anywhere. They're not tiny. Now, they have lots of influence from the Black Sea and the Nistru River. They export, by the way, to 20 countries, and they definitely go to China, Canada, and USA, which I know many of my listeners are situated. Now, their entire focus is on high quality and all about terroir-focused wines. Now, the rosé I have is the Eno Tamayoasa de Salcuzza. Now, the Eno part is a reflection of basically their their innovation in winemaking. So it reflects them taking their best grapes and vinifying them in a much more modern way. It's a beautiful bottle with some gorgeous like bronze foil design. So they've definitely gone modern. And in fact, even on the front, they have a whole little story written in English. So quite clearly, they are thinking of the global wine movement as they make their wines. So let's have a little pour of this. And I have to say, oh, it's the most beautiful ballerina slipper pink colour. Mm. On the nose, there is a really thick scent. So it smells sweet and floral. Actually, it's 
intoxicating. It is intense. Now, this is 70% Pinot Noir, but with 30% Muscat Hamburg, also known as Black Muscat, which is often eaten as a table grape. So this is part of the Muscat family, which Muscat is known for its grapey and pronounced sweet floral aromas. However, normally Muscat Hamburg is considered the weakest the weakest link in the family in terms of aromas. But if you do leave it on the vine for longer, you can get more aromatics. So I can only imagine the viticultural team here has worked magic out in the vineyards because, wow, I am getting lilies and jasmine along with like orange blossom. Now, there's even this kind of lemon sherbet, Turkish delight vibe going on and perhaps actually a little muskiness from white roses so sweet floral and intoxicating that is what you get on the nose Mm. now on the palate I want to make it clear it is completely dry this is a dry wine but it is rounded we're talking medium plus even full body it's really mouth coating okay this is an opulent wine it has this real oiliness so rose oil but there's like clementine and watermelon some cranberries even and some mm, overripe strawberries now mm, along with all that fruit there's like a really spicy red currant finish and there's enough acidity to bring it all together. It's not super high, but it stops the wine being flabby. There's a medium long finish and also something a little bit herby on the end too. I have to say, this is incredibly unique as a rosé and it's explosive. So if you like the sound of that... This is £15 a bottle. This is the 2020 vintage. It is on moldovawine.co.uk and, as I'll tell you at the end of the episode, in the subscription box with the Mummy Wine Club. Now, if you are getting a bottle of this, which I hope you will, it's certainly different, in terms of food pairings, because it's got all that aromatics and loads of flavour, of course, instantly, I think, to go across to Asian food. That's where Muscat often takes us, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, any of these more aromatic varieties. One thing is, it's not sweet, so I wouldn't put it with anything too spicy. The acidity is not crazy high, so I would avoid squeezing lots of lemon and lime on the dish. But the fact that it's so highly perfumed, this wine, I'd be looking for bolder flavours and food. So maybe something like a Thai red duck curry, or some sausages that are spiced and herbed, or even something like a caramelized onion tart or caramelized onion quiche would work beautifully. So enough of me talking. I'm excited for you to learn a little bit about what this wine country has to offer. So let's go over to the chat with Victoria now. Right, so now... I want to go back in time to history. You were born in Moldova. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, you might remember that. Uh, <laughs> I don't, actually. Well, you say so you've been told. Yes. yes, my mom told me that. <laughs> and you just have to believe her. And yeah. you were lucky enough to go back a few years ago, weren't you? For the first time mm-hmm. in, what, 30 years? Yeah. Well, no, more than that. I mean, but basically, I left. Um, I was born there. And then I had actually lived in Ukraine in Odessa until I was five. And then, I, okay. and then we moved to America. So I... Yeah. 
you know, when we moved, we had never been back to Moldova or Ukraine. And, I, you know, I'd always been very curious and wanted, mm -hmm. you know, wanted to go back. Um, and even living in London, you know, you're a little, you know, that much closer there, but um, hadn't had the chance. And then I got the opportunity while working at World of Fine Wine, there was an opportunity to go and write about Moldova as a wine country. Um, and of course, you know, I jumped on that. I really, really wanted to go and went in October 2019 mm -hmm. for eight, no, eight days. And basically we traveled through most of the country i mean we, we we visited as much as we could in that time um tasted mm -hmm. a lot um it was a really amazing trip i mean i i have to say i felt like i saw a lot and tasted a lot and experienced a lot but there's still nothing compared to how much more i want to you know learn and, and go back and kind of watch how it develops and and you know, do as much as I can to kind of really understand that wine country because it's it kind of also made sense like you know being born there and now realizing how wine is so ingrained in the culture there and how you know now it's like oh no wonder I work in wine it really it's like part of your <laughs> it DNA. was there in yeah. your in your blood but so exactly. you say it's part of the culture I read the article that you wrote uh, mm. for the world of fine wine very good by the way everyone if you can find it check it Thank out and um, but it well, you really cover the whole spectrum of history it's culture where it's going it's problems which is amazing so I, I really want to pick your brain now but the history goes back so far so did I remember right that even on their national dresses there are vines yes yes well yeah it it is it's like it goes back I mean evidence of it of, of it being a wine producing region goes back thousands of years you know we think of Georgia of course being mm -hmm. you know, the cradle of winemaking and you know or Armenia perhaps but it's that region and Moldova is included in that definitely they've had wine for thousands of years and you know for hundreds of years been making wine you know but they've, they've had a lot of stop starts you know it's been part of the Soviet Union that of course then turned it into a very bulk wine producing country and also not just making wine um, for you know quantity over quality but also not even having to sell it because they were making it in a way that they just needed to supply it to to Russia and rather than actually sell it to different markets and I think that really influences how you know producers make wine and, and mm. learn how to sell it and market it worldwide because if you're not having to be pressured to kind of make the best possible wine and then you know and find consumers for it it's you're going to make different kind of wines so um so now you know because they've had to change focus um they've had two very serious embargoes um on them from russia and they kind of basically instantly lost their market overnight you know 80 percent of their wine was going there and then suddenly they had to stop and um mm. and focus on quant uh, quality over quantity and that which really is a was good a great thing. thing it's a fantastic yes. thing absolutely but of course it had its you know challenges um and it's still you know it's, it's still a thing that they are working on and developing but there's so much good there and there's you know they're really blessed to have an amazing um terroir i think like they they've got excellent conditions for growing grapes i mean it's really like the grape kind of grape growing is like so ingrained in that country everybody seems to have grapes growing in their gardens like every, oh really you know every 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 household or every everyone who has like some kind of land is growing grape vines it's just naturally growing there and so one thing i found so funny just even going through the kind of more countryside streets is that like ever there's like all these like old 
ladies, um, you know, sitting, selling their local wine, their local sheep's milk, you know, they're just, <laughs> it's really, um, again, it's very much part of the culture. And in some ways, it's a little bit of a challenge as well, because domestically, they don't have a huge amount of demand because everyone seems to be making their own wine do you know what I mean it's just no, like so they're not really buying it because they, yeah they're not even yeah. buying the good stuff because there there is some really good stuff but everyone seems to be like the general population that's there just seems to have a grandma that makes it for them anyway <laughs> and in, in, a, in a very natural way and I think it's funny but because there's a little bit of a distrust for things that are commercially made there still and so mm. they always prefer something that's homemade versus something that's been you know it, it's again it's a little bit of um kind of a souvenir from the soviet times and like anything that's homemade is going to be a little bit more safer and, and cleaner and a little bit more um just better for you so that's a kind of a mindset that is slowly shifting but it's a reason why there's not a huge domestic market especially for the very top end stuff and now it's starting starting to kind of be exported um, beyond, you know, maybe Romania and Poland. China is, a, is an importer, but like the UK as well is buying some more good stuff from them. Now, when you say good stuff, with everybody making their own wine and it being obviously natural if they're making it themselves, the commercial wineries or the ones that are making are doing the highest production or the best quality are they making the wines quite naturally as well because it's part of the culture or it's actually is quite commercial that's such a good question and yeah not at all actually that was ah. a big surprise to me is that commercially you know in a way people are really right to, to think that actually what's being grown in their gardens is a lot you know more natural than what's being made because there's not really much organic viticulture in Moldova yet, at least not when I was there. Um, I think of all the places I visited, not a single one of them was growing grapes organically. Not even, I'm not even talking about certification. I'm just saying even just without the use of any kind of pesticides or fungicides, nobody was doing that yet. And that's again, based on what they learned from the Soviet times, which was just, you know, let's do it efficiently. And that just means, you know, not having the patience to, maybe come up with more natural yeah. resistances and more of a kind of holistic approach to the vineyard. There's not that kind of mindset yet. Um, so yes, you're, you know, you're right to point out actually that the commercial um, wine isn't made in, in that kind of natural way. Um, and perhaps there's a reason why that a lot of the domestic <laughs> consumers do trust their grandma's wines a little mm. bit more, even though I think that, I think the flavors of the wines, though, are very different. I, I did try one and I thought, mm, I wouldn't drink this, actually. Like, I, I'm talking about oh. the kind of the liter jug, you know, the stuff, that, the stuff that's yeah, sold yeah, on yeah. the side of the road. I wouldn't yeah. say it's, you know, taste wise, I would not say it's anything to write home about. But the stuff that's being made um, in the wineries today that I tasted, you know, there's some very interesting and exciting wines. And actually the best of them were the ones that were, um, using local grape varieties. So there's a lot of international grapes planted there. So a lot of Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, okay. uh, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc. There's a lot of that because, mm -hmm. again, that came from Soviet era time where, you know, that was what, you know, people knew. People kind of held that up as the best grape, you know, to be planting. But really, um, now the producers that are you know the kind of the next generation they're going back to their roots and looking up the varieties that are 
you know, more historical to the region. A lot of them are the same as Romanian grapes. So like, so Saparavi actually is more local to them. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Because obviously, yeah. so Saparavi, which we know from Georgia, right? Correct. Yeah. Actually, I have heard that in general, the, a lot of the Eastern European countries that are growing grapes, Saparavi and the Raxatelli, the white wine, yes. the two top yeah. Georgian wines do really well in Romania, in Moldova, uh, in That's Ukraine, right. where they're producing wines. Okay, that's really interesting. That's still doing really well there. Okay. Yeah, so in Moldova, the kind of native varieties, they're only 5% of the total plantings, but these okay. are grapes like Fetiesca Alba, Fetiesca Regala, Fetiesca Niagara, Rara Niagara. Um, another one that really stood out to me was Viorica because it's just very aromatic. Like Viorica, yeah, yeah, like, never heard. So aromatic. Okay, it's very aromatic, like a muscat. Yeah, it's um, Ooh. quite nice. Yeah, actually, very, very floral and grapey. Beautiful. Are they making that in dry styles as well? Dry. They yes. T- yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it, you know, and you can get some really nice. You know, it might not appeal to everybody to say like a very floral grapey wine, but actually, when it's done nice and dry, um, mm-hmm. in the summertime, it's you know, delicious. What I would say though that, you know, it's kind of impossible to immediately only find those grapes because it's only five yeah. percent of the planting so there's still a lot of the commercial kind of international grape plantings that they have to still work with what they've got and now you might find more blends so cabernet sauvignon and rara negra or you know okay. sauvignon blanc and Viorica kind of blended together but i would love to see more just of the you know single varietals that are really indigenous to the region because they are so unique and they just they do taste different and they really i think naturally are from from that region and they grow well there so is like Fetiashka Niagara actually, do they know the history goes back to Moldova or Romania or it's kind of, because I think, because they both share that grape variety, don't they? These yeah. Fetiashka grape varieties. Yeah, definitely. Fetiashka Niagara, it's an ancient variety local to the region. Um, mm-hmm. It is kind of, is really a Romanian grape, but is also very native to Moldova as well. Yeah. And because Moldova and Romania are, you know, they were one region at one point, so there's not a huge difference um, in terroir and, and huge difference in climate there. It works really well in both countries. We should probably point out for anyone who hasn't gone to Google Maps, because I did before this episode, but <laughs> didn't quite know exactly where Moldova was. Romania is literally to the west and Ukraine is to the east, just so yes. people know where we are. And it's landlocked. It doesn't actually touch the sea. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that it's kind of part of the Black Sea region, absolutely, mm. but it doesn't actually touch the Black Sea. It's about kind of five kilometers away. But geographically and kind of climate-wise, it is influenced by the Black Sea a lot, mm. and so yeah. you you would consider it, you know, one of the Black Sea wine regions or Black Sea wine countries. Um, and it does have, you know, two major rivers, the Pruch and the Dniester that go through the country of course and to be honest we haven't actually touched on climate obviously you said like the sea anything that is close to the sea is going to have that kind of more maritime effect and cooling breezes but actually in general it's kind of a it's still a continental climate right like lovely warm summers and yeah no I I mean I understood that I was there in October so I found it was you know very nice very mild beautiful long kind of autumn and um, but it is I think it is influenced by the Black Sea. It's got kind of very, you know, around that area. It's got quite milder, milder winters closer to the sea. And as you go up further north, much colder. 
Um, and they, you know, they get, they get snow, they get frost, they can get drought as well in the hot summers. Yeah. So um, they kind of get all of that. So more continental as you go up, but obviously yeah. more maritime as, as you go a bit further down. So where are the wine regions? Because I know from reading your article, because I get to pretend like I actually knew this in advance. I didn't. Um, there are three wine regions in Moldova, right? There are only three, yeah. So Valulu Trayan, which is in the southwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stefan Voda in the southeast, Kodru in the, in the center, and then there's a fourth region called Divine, which is really just for brandy production. Um, so okay. they're not actually making wine from those grapes. Um, so yeah, so just three major regions. And so it's not, because it is a small country, you can travel through it and see kind of something from everywhere, um, which is which is fantastic. It's not something that, you know, can be said about a lot of countries. That's true. Yeah, it's quite densely planted. It's I think I read in Caroline Gilby's book that it was the country that is the most economically dependent on wine in the world, which ah, is incredible. Yeah. Okay. And it also has the highest density of grapevines per person anywhere. But I think part of that is also linked to the fact that, as I said before, everybody is growing grapes, you know, just for their own personal consumption so it's not Mm -hmm. just you know commercially planted yes but also for personal you know everybody's got grapes growing and everybody can make wine there as well so it's it's you know they even say the country's shaped like a bunch of grapes which i think is interesting i read that and i looked and it kind of does it's like the grapes with like maybe a big leaf at the top or something exactly yeah i I get it Uh uh-huh Well, for anybody who wants to know about Hector, certainly from your article, and this is going back a few years, but give or take. So in Moldova, there's 132,000 hectares planted. Mm. So for anyone who wants to compare that to Bordeaux, we're talking about 110,000, 115,000 hectares in Bordeaux. So that gives people a bit of bit of context. That's interesting, mm. isn't it? Yeah, put into context like that. Mm. So if people were to fly into Kisinau, you said mm-hmm. like it's really easy to travel everywhere. I believe there's wine routes now I presume yeah. did you kind of cover all of them so, well they, I felt like I did but I definitely didn't I mean, there's, <laughs> there, there, I, mean I, I we did so much we were on the road a lot that week but um mm-hmm. since I visited a few months later there's been some really great development there on the travel side um there's a new European cultural route of the vine and wine uh, okay. which is basically three routes that tourists can do to visit 28 wineries um, oh, wow. That's, that's dedicated. Yeah. It's yes. very dedicated. It's very specific. And I think it also includes um, kind of 30 non-wine tourism attractions, which I actually think are a must just for the food aspect and the cultural point of view. Because So the non-wine tourism attractions would be things like um, country houses that have restaurants in them that cook really gorgeous um, you know, local cuisine. It's just really natural okay. and, and, you know, Moldovan food that is you know, not really found anywhere else. So um, so the wine routes are great because they can take you around all the different wineries and, you know, you get, and they touch on, you know, the old and the new. So it leads you to places like Milestimici, which is lo- the longest wine cellar in the world. It's in the, in the Gu- okay. yeah, it's in the Guinness World Book of Records. I think it holds something like a million five hundred thousand bottles underground and you need a car okay. to get around it's pretty intense but it's, well, it's well, very you need a car to get around like underground the, you take a car 
underground. Yes, yes. It's, <gasps> it's basically like a city underground. Um, and there's another one that's similar called Krikova, which is also, you know, a very, it's got 75 miles of roadways underground. It's literally a wine city. They have a movie oh theater. God. They have what? a chapel. Yes, they have an underground Under- chapel underground. there. Yeah, it's all underground. It's really interesting. I mean, I've never seen anything like that anywhere um, where, you know, and I think they have things like a church there because the workers that were building it um you know they needed to go and pray like you know they wanted uh-huh. to still go have a place of worship so there's everything there's restaurants there's um there's several restaurants and it's really interesting you know just from for any wine lover i think it's interesting just to see something like that it's very unique um but really those are you know older kind of very historical things nothing that is I wouldn't say that they're making the kind of wines that I think are the future for Moldova, but they are still very interesting as, as a kind of a cultural reference and a cultural attraction. Um, mm. I think the things that really strike me as like the future um, for Moldova are like the urban wineries or the young generation of wine ah. producers. And, you know, these are young producers that have traveled the world. They've gone to mm-hmm, you know, Burgundy and Italy, um, California. They've gone, they've seen you know, modern winemaking, they've seen slightly, you know, although they're not there yet with organics, but they've seen how you don't need to spray as much. You can actually kind of be a little bit lighthanded on that. And um, and also the, the focus on quality is more part of their mentality than, than their kind of predecessors. So I would say, you know, you know, I can send you some ideas if you wanted to share that with your with your listeners. But there's some really fantastic producers that are actually now even available in the UK um, that I'll be including some of them in my box as well coming up. Um, yeah, exactly. So going back quickly to your Mummy yeah. Wine Club subscription box, you're going to be doing, is it going to be the all four wines will be Moldovan or Black Sea focused? Yeah, I think my, the focus will be on around the Black Sea. But even okay. though, as we said, Moldova is not, you know, officially on the Black Sea, it is very much part of the Black Sea basin as part of mm. the Black Sea influence. So it'll include wine from Moldova as well. Right, and- everyone. Yeah, and I just think, you know, there's some really exciting producers coming out that I think people will be really impressed and surprised at the quality. And I don't think people should expect these wines to be, you know, dirt cheap. Like, they have to be willing to Mm. pay something for them, but also to be highly rewarded with what they get because there's some really incredible flavors and, and the quality is there. And, you know, I think they're trying to go beyond that kind of bulk wine price point and expectation and really deliver something phenomenal. So I'm really impressed. I love it. So if anyone's going to get some Moldovan wine from your wine box or they're going to purchase a bottle and and they want to be really, really cultural here, what would be a classic food pairing and wine pairing from Moldova? Yeah, that's a great question. I think some of my favorite things that we had there was something called placinti or placinti. And that was Moldovan pies that had different kinds of fillings. And you could have like savory ones with cheese or pumpkin Mm. um, or you could have or potato, for instance, or you could have more sweet ones like cherries and apple. And it's just a really nice, you know, something you can have kind of at different points of the meal. And they're really, really good. Um, Another one was kind of cabbage uh, kind of stuffed cabbage which I know sounds maybe less exciting because you can you can find that in different 
cuisines in Eastern Europe, but they have these mm-hmm. like really lo- lovely small ones called sermali, mm-hmm. which are really delicious. Um, okay. Kind of meat and rice wrapped um, wrapped in cabbage, and then you know the big one is um, mamaliga, which is basically polenta. It was you know a new t- new experience for me. Although I have to say, since I've tried mamaliga there, I really liked it. I've been trying to have it at home. Um, okay. I haven't convinced my kids yet, though. They're still not. They're, they're still unsure about it. They're like, "Is it pasta? Is it couscous?" I'm like, no, it's neither. It's better. Yeah. Um, need to try to convince them about polenta, um, but so it's funny. very good. It's really nice, um, and it can be you know served alongside so many dishes. It's sort of instead of bread. It's like the carb on the on, mm-hmm. the, on the table. Mm-hmm. Now, just quick question: When you were there, regardless of grape varieties, with the younger winemakers, which you are hoping is the future because they're doing fantastic things are they doing sparkling wines are they doing sweet wines is there a little bit of orange wines is there a little bit of playing around and bringing all the different styles together yeah yeah definitely I mean I there's definitely sparkling wine white rosé red sweet I have to admit I did not see or try any orange wine but I wouldn't you know I also wouldn't be surprised if somebody was doing it we've got to investigate yeah, yeah because if they've got if they've got raxitelli the white yeah. grape variety from georgia you exactly. would think maybe they're playing around with a little bit of orange but it's one of these Skin things contact. isn't it yeah definitely. if it's not the fact that they've as you've mentioned they were doing bulk production it's still now a very new thing of actually winery setting up and doing things on a more commercial basis i suppose they're probably still very much finding their feet aren't they i think so I think so but it's 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 one of those where what I found was that there's some producers who are still doing wine in a very kind of traditional like oak is best and you know high extraction is best sort of mentality but then there's some some of the younger producers who are really um, edging away from that and they're really focusing on these great bright fruit flavors and you know pristineness and a little bit of you know the clean natural flavors so I'm really intrigued about how both of those um you know, kinds of producers will, will work, you know, the sort of traditionals and the modern mm-hmm. and see, you know, see who's doing what and how, how they get on. And last question, are you happy to mention a few of these younger producers that you think are doing very good things? Oh, yeah, definitely. So one of the things I did for my article was pick a case from Moldova, which is basically, you know, what would be my dream, you know, 12 bottles to bring mm-hmm. to, a, you know, a mm-hmm. dinner party. And, you know, I tried to be as, as wide as um, kind of I could with the styles and the producers. And some of the ones I mentioned were, for instance, Atu Winery, which is Moldova's first urban winery. So they buy grapes from all over the country, from different, mm-hmm. from the three different regions, and then they you know, produce the wines on site in Chisinau. And so basically, I thought they were doing beautiful, beautiful wines. But also, I even love their labels. Their labels were just so stunning. Very modern and artistic. And again, it kind of just gave me that kind of sign that they are very, you know, aware of like global markets and how they're not just making wine to kind of supply wine. They're making wine they're going to sell and they're definitely Mm going to sell it. It looks fantastic. It tastes really good um and so i was very impressed with our two winery um and then wines like ministerios i didn't visit i didn't visit ministerios and it's another very small producer it was a kind of husband and wife team they had studied in burgundy came back to their home country and started making very elegant wines and you know their wine i just tried at a local restaurant and 
I was, again, really impressed with how great it was. And it's a mix of Merlot, Cabernet, and Catiasca Niagara. So they're really working with, okay, okay. well, we can do a bit of a bit of our local varieties, a bit of um, the international plantings, because you still have to use the grapes that are planted there. I of guess course. it's not, it's, it's easy to say, oh, let's all go, um, you know, let's all go native. <laughs> but actually, you know, you have to work with what they've got, which mm-hmm. is all the plantings that they've still inherited. And any others? Yeah, another another one I would say definitely is Gogu. Gogu is down in Stefan Voda. It's a um a young man who basically was, you know, quite new on the scene and he's now making these gorgeous white and red wines. I think I put his white in my selection of, mm-hmm. you know, top wines from Moldova, but even his reds, I mean, they're all very, very good. Um so I would say Gogu is one to to seek out um and actually i'm gonna mention one that i is is not a newbie by any means but it's really worth mentioning is Fokari. Fokari is right on the border with ukraine um Mm -hmm. and they're really close and i visited them and it's very historical um producer actually like they they made wines from the 1800s and you know one of the kind of original wineries um but they've done very very great you know different styles and I think it's another one to have in mind because although they're not, you know, the next generation, they're still making wines that are really good. I'm so excited. I love listening to people just talking about wine regions that really are are undiscovered. I think you said that that Moldova is a hidden gem, right? You've Mm. made it sound exactly like that. And we all need to go and investigate more because quite clearly lots is going to change there. They're definitely developing. And if they're making really good premium wines now, where are they going to go? Yeah, I think we'll be on more wine lists, hopefully, (laughs) around the world. Absolutely. So everyone, go and get yourself a, should we be saying Moldovan wine or Moldovian wine i think moldovan wine but i think you know perhaps there's different ways of saying it's a bit confusing i would say moldovan wine moldovan wine there we yeah. go he, there you have it we're not 100 percent sure but yes go give yourself a glass or a bottle well more likely a bottle you need to go and find go and get yourself a bottle of moldovan wine and um see what you all think right yeah definitely. absolutely thank you so much victoria literally for just scratching the surface for us and um everyone needs to go and head over to mummy wine club male female with child without child whoever you are all you need to do is like some wine <laughs> and, yes, uh, absolutely. Check, and now we know definitely we can get some old oven wine from you yes thank you Brilliant. so much it's been oh. lovely to talk to you thank you Nina. no it was my pleasure and i'll talk to you about something else very soon i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> take care take care uh. bye So guys, if you get yourself over to mummywineclub.com, April's subscription box is actually not Black Sea themed, but entirely Moldovan wines. I think when Victoria had to decide which few to go in a box, the decision was too hard to make. So it is all dedicated to Moldova this month. So you're going to find Pukari. Victoria mentioned these guys have been going since the 1800s. And during these times, apparently, the Pukari wines were as popular as Bordeaux and Burgundy. And I believe these guys are exporting more of their wines worldwide than any of the other wineries. So wherever you guys are, you're most likely to be able to find some wines from Pukari. So she's got the Negru de Pukari. This is a 70% Cabernet Sauvignon, 25% Sapa Ravi and 5% Rara Negra. Now talking about Rara Negra, which of course is indigenous, she's also got the Novak 
Rara Negra. Now these guys have rebirthed a number of forgotten varieties that were thought to have already been lost. Then there is a delicious rosé. It is the Salcuzza, which I tasted at the beginning of the podcast, which you definitely want to try. And then for the white, it's by a winery called Timbris and it's their Viorica. So the lovely floral and aromatic white grape variety. Now, not easy to find a wine quote from Moldova itself, so I've stuck with a wine quote from a female wine educator, as this episode, of course, has been rather educational, or so I hope. And so I found one from Karen McNeil. So she is a top wine writer, and she's also the author of the award-winning bestseller, The Wine Bible, should anybody be looking for another wine book. And in The Wine Bible, she says... I love wine because it is one of the last true things. In a world digitized to distraction, a world where you can't get out of your pajamas without your cell phone, wine remains utterly primary, unrushed. The silent music of nature. For 8,000 years, vines clutching the earth have thrust themselves upward towards the sun and given us juicy berries and ultimately wine. In every sip taken in the present, we drink in the past. Honestly, I salute all of you wine writers that you are able to create something with words so romantic, with such poetic flair. I'm inspired by you all. One day, one day my vocabulary may reach those heights. Anyway, that is it for today. Thank you everybody for listening. As always, you know, make sure you have liked the podcast, subscribed the podcast and shared it with all your wine loving friends. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, you know it makes the podcast far more discoverable if you can take one moment to leave me a comment or a review so next week's podcast is just me and i've really enjoyed the last three guests our female winemaker female master of wine female wine educator and writer and so i feel inspired and lifted it's great seeing women supporting women so Next week, I'm going to talk about a few incredible women, past and present, that you should definitely know about. So, go grab yourself that glass or bottle of Moldovan wine, and I'll see you again here next week. Cheers to you.